What we just watched was a video of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. What we didn't see on the video is the Father and the Holy Spirit interacting in that scene and the Spirit coming down and landing on Jesus like a dove. And the Father's voice from heaven, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That's going to be our guiding thought as we uh, turn to the Gospel of John today in chapter 1. So have your Bibles, your Bible app ready to John chapter 1. We're going to work through these verses 29 to 41. And uh, I'm going to read them for you first here as we get going. John chapter 1 verses 29 to 41. You can follow along. You can also watch the screen here as they project. So now it says the next day. So John had baptized Jesus. Now verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah! That is, the Christ. This is the Word of God. I like to play a game called cribbage. Cribbage is a card game and a board game kind of mixed together in one. And uh, the fun part about cribbage is that you, you get, it starts out each round by each player being dealt six cards. So you have six cards in your hand. The difficult part about that is that you always have to give up two of those cards. Sometimes those cards go in a crib, which you get back later. Sometimes they go to your opponent. And so you see these six cards. It's just a difficult thing. Every single time, you're looking at your six cards, and it's hard to let two of them go. It's hard to let them go because, first of all, well, they're, they're, they're mine. I don't want to give them to my opponent. They're my cards. But I have to. It's also difficult trying to figure out which of these six should I let go and which should I keep so that I have only four and I want to have the most points possible with those four and not give points to my opponent with the two. Ah! And then it's difficult because you know the outcome might be that your opponent gains some points in the game because of the cards that you've given them. Letting go is hard. Not just in cribbage, but in life. 
Letting go is hard because, well, it's just difficult giving up that bad habit that you've come to rely on and which lies have led you to believe that you really need to get along in life. Letting go is hard because you're just not always sure whether to let go of that person or to keep the relationship even though it's difficult. Letting go is hard because the outcome, the results, might be hard to deal with. As parents, we try to let our children become more independent as they grow. And when you make a decision for them to become independent, whether that's sending them to preschool or letting them move out of the house, and then they experience difficulty because of that decision, that's, that's hard. I learned to play cribbage from my parents. They were very good players and they taught me how to play. I'm not as good as they are, but I'm trying. I always liked it when they were teaching me and when I'd be playing maybe with my sisters or friends and they weren't involved in the game. But when I had my six cards and I, I don't know which two cards to give up and they, one of them would lean over my shoulder and pull two of them out of the six and say those two. It's like, oh, thanks. And I didn't always agree with them, but when I did it, it, it worked and I... I would win that hand because I listened to them. Jesus comes and he, he, he comes to you today like he came to John the Baptist, like he came to the disciples. And he comes to you and he does more than look over your shoulder. Jesus takes your cards and he plays them, every single one of them. And he never loses. He hasn't lost once. He never will lose, ever. When you're willing to let go of your cards to Jesus and let him play them, you'll never lose. That's the story we hear in John the Baptist today. Um, and so we're going to see uh, that in John the Baptist, as he had baptized Jesus, and the Father's voice had come with, with, with my son, I'm well pleased, and the Spirit had landed on Jesus, and then the next day, these are the words of John chapter 1 that we're studying today, these, these words on the next day. And, and John can let go of everything else because he looks at the Lamb. I want to show you a couple of spots where it says this in John chapter 1. So verse, if you're looking in your Bible or following your Bible app, verse 29, and then it's repeated in verse 36. Two times in this section, we hear, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Kind of a strange nickname, wouldn't you say? Look, look at the Lamb. I mean, this is a picture like two big guys in the gym pumping iron, right? And they're just, they're going hard at it, and they're sweating, and they're, the bar is bending as one of them is lifting, and he gets done, and he stands up and, and gives a roar. And the other guy points to him and says, Look at that guy! What a cute puppy dog! That uh, doesn't work, right? He'd, he'd probably say something like, Man, that guy's a beast! Actually, that's what John is saying about Jesus. He's a beast. Because the lamb is no wimpy, unwilling little sacrifice. Oh, it's sacrificial, but look in, in Revelation. If you have your Bible, 
or an app, and you can look at this, these two verses in Revelation. I'm going to show you what I mean by, by John calling him a lamb is really saying, he's not saying, ooh, Jesus is this cute little puppy dog. He's saying that Jesus is a beast. Elsewhere, the Bible calls Jesus a lion, you know. But even the lamb, Revelation 5, verse 12, it's going to prove my point. Revelation 5, verse 12. Worthy is, say it, the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and thanks and honor and glory and blessing. Yes, Jesus is the man. That's what John is saying. By saying he's the Lamb of God. Revelation 12, chapter 12. Go to chapter 12. Verse 11. They, this is all the saints in heaven now, it's picturing all the believers who have gone to heaven and, and their battle against the devil. Okay, so it says, They, believers, triumphed over him, the devil, and all evil by the blood of, say it. See, he, so he helps us triumph. Sometimes you might see a picture, some, you'll see this in traditional churches in stained glass windows. Or uh, a picture of a lamb, and that lamb leaning up on its shoulder is a flag, and on that that's a, like a white flag, and there's a cross on the flag. Um, that's the flag of victory, and the lamb might sometimes be bleeding to indicate the sacrifice of Jesus. But that 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 lamb with that flag furled, uh, unfurled, unbowing uh, in the wind on top of it is a symbol of Jesus, the powerful Lamb of God who has power. Not just sacrifice, but he uses that sacrifice for power. And that's where you're connected with him in your baptism. Jesus, in his baptism, went underwater. He was soaked with the water of the Jordan and the water of the Spirit, the water of God. And that was a powerful act that connected him to everything that he needed to save you from. All the others you saw in the video, right? All these others were being baptized too. And Jesus said, I'm not above that. I'm not beyond that. I'm not going to try to save you from heaven. I'm coming to you. I'm going to be in your water with you. I'm going to battle your temptations. I'm going to make you, I'm going to forgive you of your guilt and sin. I'm going to suffer in your world. That's the power of the Lamb. The power that saves us. So, uh, Jesus let go of his own life in his baptism. He knew what that would mean. It would mean that he'd have to walk the path that his father decided for him to walk, and that was crucifixion and death. Jesus let go of his own idea of what a good life would be and then lived under the Father so that he would never have to let you go so that he could save you. And now you can let other things go because Jesus will never let you go. That's powerful. We see that in action. You see that in John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist looked at the Lamb. Look, the Lamb of God, John says, right? He was able to let go of three things. First of all, John was able to let go of his own profile. Of, of him, of his appearance and his picture and his persona. Right? Being all about John, it could very, he was a powerful personality. You saw that in the video. 
It could have very easily been about John, but he didn't let that happen. It was, it was about Jesus. So back to John chapter 1. Look at verse 31. Other times people came to John and they said, Hey, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that God promised? He'd laugh and say, no, I'm not even close. I'm not the Messiah. There is your Messiah. And he'd point to Jesus, the Lamb of God. Verse 31, John says, The reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed. You, you can make Jesus more noticeable in your life. You really can. And, and when he's more noticeable in your life, when, his pro, when he's bigger than you, when you're talking to a person, when you're making a decision, when you're looking in the mirror, and you say, he, he must be bigger, he must be more noticeable, it's not about my profile, then you, then you don't worry so much about being noticeable yourself. And when Jesus is bigger... Your problems are smaller. And when Jesus is more noticeable to you in your life, he's going to be no, more noticeable to your problems. He's going to be more noticeable to your stress, to your enemies. He's going to be more, more noticeable to the people that you want to share him with. When you, when you don't worry about your profile being bigger, but you're willing to let his be bigger like John was. Secondly, John was willing to let go of his path. Powerful guy, great personality, awesome preacher. He probably had an idea that he'd be preaching in a big crystal cathedral somewhere with thousands of people coming. And, and Jesus said, I, I really want you to go out in the wilderness in this kind of stinky river place. And there might be, a, you know, dozens, maybe a, couple, maybe a hundred or so people coming out to see you. Um, that's my path for you. And, and then I want you to point to Jesus and back away. And then, but, and then after that, your head will get chopped off. You know, you'll, you'll be in prison and you'll be beheaded. So that's, that's my plan for you, John. How does that sound? John didn't hold on to his own path. There's a part of every one of us that wants to say, I can be anyone I want. I can do anything I want. Power of positive thinking. I can do it. But... What if you want to be a triathlete and you've had an injury or you have a disease or you have six children and mouths to feed and you can't be a triathlete? Are you gonna, can you let that go? What if God's path for you is different than the path that you've had in mind for yourself? You can let it go because Jesus will never let you go. Jesus never let John go, no matter how difficult his path was. And that's why John could release that. Verse 32. Right? John says, The one who sent me, key words there, I'm paying attention to what God has in mind for me. He sent me. The one who sent me to baptize with water told me. So when that little voice in you says, you can do anything you want, I can be anyone I want, and maybe that's not, there's another voice telling you that's not the right thing, you can answer and say, God told me. God sent me. And that speaks with authority like it spoke with John. Um, thirdly, John gave up not only, not only a profile, not only a path, but he gave up popularity. 
This had to be hard for John. John, in this story, it tells us about two of John. John had his own disciples, right? His followers who were learning from him. He was mentoring them. Uh, plant, they were on his team, right? They'd, they'd hand out his business cards to people. They were part of John the Baptist's teams. At least two disciples, maybe more. But in this story, there were two disciples. And then when Jesus comes along, Jesus comes onto the scene, and John points to Jesus, these two disciples say, Whoa! And, and they take off their John the Baptist jersey and they put on a Jesus jersey and they follow Jesus. And John's okay with that because they're not really going to the other team. It's all one team. And John's heart is filled with a good pride, uh, like, a, like a team leader's heart, right? When, that, when uh, someone on your team uh, does such a good job and then they go, maybe you do a different team or a different company even. And, and it's, you don't pout and, and you don't get all whiny that you've lost them. You're happy for them and for what they can do. John was happy for these disciples that they could follow Jesus. And so he doesn't, he doesn't hold on to popularity. He doesn't need to use people to feel popular about himself. He can let them go because he's already popular with Jesus. Be careful using people for your own needs to feel good, affirm, to feel popular. You don't need them because Jesus feels good about you and you're already popular with him as your Savior and he'll never let you go. Uh, there's a blog that I read this week and I want to share this with you because it has to do with what we're talking about today and it's about your phone. Some of you have your phone in your hand right now looking at your Bible app. That's okay. That's a good use of your phone. Some of you have your phone in your hand a lot. Some of you have your phone in your hand a lot more than you should. Here's what the blog says. It's called, When Your Phone Uses You. Your smartphone has two jobs. On the one hand, it was hired by you to accomplish certain tasks. In the scheme of things, it's a screaming bargain and almost a miracle. But most of the time, your phone works for corporations, assorted acquaintances, and large social networks. They have hired it to put you to work for them. You're not the customer, you're the product. Your attention and your anxiety is getting sold. Cheap. When your phone grabs your attention, when it makes you feel inadequate, when it pushes you to catch up, to consume, and to fret, it's not working for you, is it? On demand does not mean you are supposed to do things when your device demands. Here's a summary. We let some things in our lives become master when they should only be servant. And we want Jesus in our lives to become our servant instead of letting him be our master. How do you solve that phone problem? Ah, get a new phone. No, a new phone is not going to solve the phone problem. Go back to a flip phone from a smartphone. But that's not going to solve it either because it's a, it's a heart and a mind problem. It's a problem with your thinking and your believing. Right? The, the, when, when my heart has to be attached to that phone to get something from it, 
that honestly it's never going to give to me. I have to change my heart, not my phone. When my mind tells me that I, I can't miss out on anything, I have to be connected, I have to see it all, I have to hear what's going... That's, that's not a phone problem, that's a mind problem. I'm thinking the wrong thing. So when the problem is thinking and believing, here's the solution, repentance. Uh, today, no extra charge, I'm going to give you the perfect formula for repentance. How to repent so that it always works. And you always feel good about it, and you, you're totally confident in God, and it leads you on the right path. I'm going to give you this formula. And so, pay attention. Get your pens ready. Here we go. Ready? Here's the formula for repentance. Be baptized. That's it. Just be baptized. That, that's the best way of changing your thinking and your believing. It's the best way of Jesus being powerful in your life that you can ever find. Be, bapti- be, be baptized. Baptism is a gift of God. Baptism, though we're involved in it as an act, baptism is a work of God. God is at work powerfully in your baptism. Jesus went under the water, he connected himself to you, and now by baptism you're connected to him too. Um, Let's remember a couple things about Jesus' baptism, because they have to do with yours, okay? Number one, the Father approved Jesus in Jesus' baptism. John mentions it. You don't hear it directly, but he mentions it. Uh, You can go to Matthew chapter 3, and that's where the Bible says that when he was baptized, Jesus Jesus is baptized. God the Father spoke from heaven. This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then John talks about the Spirit that came on Jesus. Where did that dove go, by the way? When Jesus was baptized, and the dove came down and landed on his shoulder, it's the Holy Spirit, then what? John says the right thing. Dove or no dove, the Holy Spirit remained on Jesus and accompanied him during his ministry so that he could follow God's plan and do what God wanted him to do. So the Holy Spirit accompanied Jesus. So the Father approved him. The Holy Spirit accompanied Jesus. Because Jesus had his Father's approval, He didn't have to work hard to win others' approval for himself. Right? Jesus was centered on the Father's will in his ministry. And because the Holy Spirit accompanied him, Jesus always had this partner in ministry that he could turn to that gave him power for following the right path. That's how he became your Savior. So how can you better let things go? You can live your life knowing that Jesus already approves of you. The one who was approved by the Father in his baptism and in yours, approves of you. I know it doesn't always feel like it. I know you don't always feel like a strong Christian. I know that you have sins that you're embarrassed about, that you know that Jesus knows about, and maybe no one else. I know that you struggle with making the right decisions and sometimes make the wrong ones. I know that you wish you prayed better and read the Bible more. I know that you wish that the right words would have come out of your mouth, but the wrong words came out. With all that on the table, Jesus says, with you, I am well pleased. Because he's the lamb, you know, and his blood covers all those sins. And 
As lonely as you might sometimes feel, even when you're surrounded by people, we have our own little world sometimes, and we, we tend to crawl up sometimes in the fetal position in our own little world, and, and no one else understands, and no one else is listening, and no one else seems to care, and it feels like you're in this alone. In, in your baptism, the Holy Spirit came, just like with Jesus, and landed on you, and then became part of you. The Holy Spirit accompanies you, too. The Holy Spirit actually, the Bible says, lives in you. You're never alone. God will never let you go. That's what your baptism promises. Um, letting go becomes then possible when we focus on our baptism and focus on the fact that God doesn't let us go. There's a story about a guy who needed to let go. It goes like this. The man was uh, hiking. He was way up high on the mountain. He was near a cliff. And tragedy of tragedies, he fell off the cliff, tumbling down this cliff to his impending certain doom and death. He manages to grab onto a branch sticking out the side of the cliff, and he hangs on, and it stops his fall. He hangs there for a while, realizing there's nothing else to grab, there's nothing he can do. Finally has to yell up to the top of the cliff where he knows there might be someone up there. Help! Is anybody up there? He hears a voice. This is God. Let go of the branch. Uh, he, he looks down hundreds of feet rocky cliff considers the option there's a moment of silence and then you hear a voice again is anyone else up there looking for options letting go is hard because when God asks us to let go we don't always have a good understanding or feeling of what's next Folks, that's called faith. Actually, that's called discipleship. You hear it in, in Jesus' words, verse 39 here in John chapter 1. Jesus, to, to his new disciples, he says to them, Come. That's it. Come. You know what that meant for those disciples? Some of them left families. Some of them left jobs. Some of them left their closets full of clothes, their cars, their computers. All right, you get it. They left things and they never missed them because they had one who was bigger. They had one who was more faithful to them than their clothes or their computers or even their families could ever be. They are the one who would never let them fall and never let them lose in Jesus. So discipleship looks at the lamb and lets go of everything else too. Um, you can let go of the branch. You can let go of the branch. Jesus says, come. You can give up the two cards and cribbage that you just think are totally necessary for you to win the hand. And your parent looks over your shoulder and says, those two. And you think, no way. But you believe. 
You, you just, you do it. It doesn't make sense, but you do it anyway and you win. So whatever your branch is, you can let it go. And when you do, you'll have two free hands. You're, I know you're picturing yourself falling right now. Maybe, maybe not. But when that branch isn't in your hands, you have two free hands. And what can you do with those? Here's what I'm telling you to do. With one of them, give that hand to Jesus and let him take it wherever he wants to take you and you follow him. Wherever he says, you go. Because that's a good place. He knows better than you do. And he loves you more than you can ever imagine. And you just follow him and it'll be okay. That's the one hand. What about this other hand? Let your branch go. Put it down. And then you have a hand to reach out and find someone else. All right, like, like Andrew went and found his brother. And he had to tell him, we found the Messiah. Hey, come on. Come on. And then you take his hand and you take Jesus' hand and you say, Now you've found him too. It's amazing the opportunities that are out there in your life right now if you only had two free hands. Jesus is calling. He let go when he was baptized. And because he let go, he's able to hold on to you forever and he will never let you go. So let go of your branch. Reach out to others who don't yet know Jesus and see what Jesus can do. Amen.